23, and we'll be reading verses 39 through 43 again, um, just for emphasis, because this is really the, these four verses are what we're going to spend our entirety talking about this morning. We'll be going to some other places to elaborate on some of the things we see in the text, but this is what we'll be focusing on. So beginning in verse 39 of chapter 23 of Luke, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, Of course, this passage, these words are spoken, this conversation's had um, while Jesus is uh, enduring the process of his death. Um, He's on the cross, having been hanged there um, that day, and he's hanged in the company of two other people. Um, Scripture teaches us that these two other guys were criminals, or don't really know any details other than that. just says that they were criminals. We don't know what exactly they did. Um, to be in that position. Um, But this conversation's had as Jesus is hanging there. And these two other guys are also in the process of dying. They're hanging there on his left and on his right, This these group of three people. So I want us to look at, and this is kind of the last lesson that I've prepared in kind of this mini-series, of looking at things that people say about Jesus. Um, so I've kind of titled this Jesus through the eyes of, and then insert whoever we're looking at that day. So the first time we did this was in Luke chapter two with the Simeon. The next time was with Nathaniel, uh, or as some people believe Bartholomew, if you want to make that connection in your head. And then this time we're just going to look at a criminal and particularly this criminal on the cross. Um, and particularly the believing criminal, the one that is sympathetic in a sense, towards Jesus and his claims. So with that said, I want us to look a little bit at the criminal, first of all. Like I said, we don't know too many things about this guy. We know his immediate context. He's dying on a cross. He's been categorized generally as a criminal. Um, In fact, he knows he's guilty of whatever it is he's there for. It says that he's being punished justly for the things that he's done. Um, So we know it's not a failure in the justice system in this particular instance, and this guy's innocent. He's not, and he recognizes that. But really, much more detail than that we don't really we don't have. Uh, we don't know his age. We don't know his background, where he's from, what exactly he did. I mean, we don't know anything. Um, there's some general thought. I mean, it seems as if that this guy was not Jewish. I mean, he was being punished and by the Romans on the cross, but it doesn't seem to indicate in any way that he had any um, religious leaning in this instance. So maybe he wasn't Jewish, maybe he was, we don't really know. Um, And in fact, in the other gospel accounts, um, it seems as if this one perhaps was also involved in ridiculing Jesus, at least in a moment. Um, Other accounts say, and the criminals railed him or mocked him or whatever. So maybe, perhaps, there was a changing of heart in this instance. 
It's also possible that, in a general sense, the criminals spoke against him, just kind of making a generalization in the other text. I just bring all this up to say we don't really know much about this guy other than that he was a criminal and he was dying for his crimes. And I think that's helpful as we move through this lesson, um, just to, that it is so general and that it is so vague because I think in a lot of ways that helps us identify with this person because it's not too specific where we're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not similar to that person at all, but it's vague enough to be like, you know, maybe I can identify with this person. So we'll move into that a little bit later. Um, but look at the first thing I want us to examine, um, that this criminal, the, particularly the one that defends Jesus, is sympathetic towards Jesus, some of the things he says. And there's three things that I think we're going to examine that he either says or implies. And then at the very and we're going to examine those, and we're going to use those examples and those things as ways to encourage us and things that we should know and believe. But then at the end of the lesson, I want to look at kind of two general, um, two general, I don't know how you say it, lessons that we can kind of take away just from this whole scene. Okay, so the first thing that uh, Jesus, or that the criminal says of Jesus is that he's innocent. Look at verse 41 of the text. And we indeed justly talking of suffering for crimes, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. All right, so Jesus is hanging there, and as believers, we might understand the context and the weight of what's going on here. But as a criminal, this guy probably doesn't have a sense for the weight of what's happening. I don't even think the disciples and apostles really had a sense of that until after the fact, in its fullest understanding. And really, in a lot of ways, we never really come to really the real weight of that because it's such a big and lofty thing. But the criminal on some level, a small level, kind of realized that Jesus shouldn't have been there. Just by his character and the life that he lived, he's like, hey, this guy is suffering even though he's innocent. I think that's really interesting that the criminal recognizes that in some capacity. I don't know if the criminal ever heard any of Jesus' teaching firsthand. I'm sure he heard about Jesus, if nothing else, in the days leading up to this moment. Um, but he seems to, to cry out that Jesus is innocent. Um, I don't have anything profound to say about that other than that we need to be able to see the same thing. Um, scripture talks a lot about the innocence of the one who would come. We think about all the prophecies that as Jews, Simeon and Nathaniel were able, to, or Simeon particularly was able to conjure up when he talked about Jesus. When Jesus was a baby in his arms, he mentioned how it was a fulfillment of prophecy and promise. And he talked about how he had seen a light to the Gentiles. He saw a revelation in this baby Jesus. Well, this, this criminal doesn't have those lofty understandings. He doesn't pull from scripture or prophecy to say, this guy is suffering innocently just as it was said. But as a criminal, he recognized on a basic level Jesus didn't deserve what was happening to him. I think about sometimes when I think 
when I think of Jesus and the cross and his death, just as we've been doing this morning, that's something I meditate on a lot and think about. That's probably one of the first things that always comes to my mind when it comes to time to remember in communion and the Lord's Supper is I dwell on the innocence of Jesus, how he didn't deserve it and how we should have taken that punishment and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. You know, all the different ways we can kind of say that same thing. But when we come to Jesus and we're thinking about that, I think there's something to be said for a criminal, someone who was guilty and bore punishment, to recognize that a fellow, a colleague in that punishment is innocent. Have you ever suffered uh, wrong in any capacity, but known that the person that was also suffering with you shouldn't have been? Um, I think about uh, in school... I remember there was a a time, actually it was the only time in my life, I got in-school suspension, uh, which was a big deal for me at least. Um, It was a big deal in the school. The next step is being suspended from school, so it was a big deal to be suspended in school. And I remember thinking I didn't deserve it because I was in kind of the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And kind of one of those situations where you're lumped into a crowd and they just kind of... Everyone here is in trouble, right? Which, there's something to be said for good decision-making within that. But I just use that example to say, like, I remember thinking, I don't deserve this, you know? I don't deserve the punishment, and ultimately, when I get home, the second punishment I'm going to get, right? And I remember, actually, one of my friends, uh, and I was friends with all the guys, but one of them particularly said, to me, without me saying anything to him, he's like, you don't deserve this punishment. You don't deserve to be, like, lumped in with us. Which is a fifth grader, as I think, is a big deal, you know, like, no fifth grader says that, right? Um, and that is a super light way to relate to this. But that's kind of what I think of when I think about um, innocently suffering. That's the moment in my life where I think, hey, that's when I, it just sticks out to me, I innocently suffered. How much more so the punishment that Jesus was enduring? Irrevocable. This kind of punishment, once it's fulfilled, can't be taken back. It's a final type of punishment, at least in the sense of our bodies, right? And Jesus endured that innocently. Uh, We know he didn't cry out against that. He didn't Um, as we sometimes sing, maybe call angels to deliver him of that. He asked God in the garden, if this could pass for me, please let it. And God didn't let that occur, right? Um, And so for this criminal to recognize that Jesus was innocent in that, uh, it's just amazing to me. Uh, And I think it's humbling. As we teach other people and as we reach out to other people about Jesus, I think... The criminal here is really relatable for people. I know he's really relatable for me because, like, if you're if you're not religious at all and you're not a believer, and like, you read about Jesus for the first time, I can see relating with the criminal. I kind of felt that way when I was. Um, not that I don't feel that way now, but I remember like the first time I really ever actually listened to the story of Jesus. You know, you hear I heard it at least growing up. Jesus, this Jesus, that Christianity, this Christianity, that. When I was a teenager and later in high school, when I actually like started paying attention, like actually listening to the things going on around me, I thought, yeesh, 
I'm like that, you know, I'm like that criminal, apparently, because I've done all these bad things, and Jesus suffered innocently. And so I think G, uh, the criminal is relatable in that way. Um, we, in a, in a sense, can we, we can kind of relate to that criminal. Like Usually I deserve what comes my way, but for me to recognize that somebody else didn't deserve that punishment is a huge step. Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4. And we're just going to use these verses supporting passages rather quickly. I'm not going to expound too much on them. I just want to to reinforce these things that the, the criminal says or implies with other passages. Um, so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The Hebrew writer says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our, weakness, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So here's one passage that also points to and indicates that Jesus was completely innocent uh, in this moment of suffering. Look at another one with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll look at verse tw- uh, or chapter 2, sorry. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Speaking of Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So again, in another place, clearly stated, Jesus was absolutely innocent. And then the whole argumentation centered in Galatians chapter 3, or the whole argumentation is centered on the fact that Jesus is innocent and was innocent in his sufferings. I mean, when you read through the book of Galatians and you get to chapter 3, um, that's, that's the center of the argument uh, on faith and works and things. So it's just, and those are just a couple passages that emphasize that point. And I think it's nothing new for most of us in this room to consider that Jesus was innocent in his suffering. But we, like the criminal need to really understand and believe that in his suffering, Jesus was innocent. Uh, And that's just something that we need to wrap our minds around and really dwell on. So I'm thankful for days like today when it gives me that opportunity to do that. The second thing that the criminal notices or says about Jesus is in verse 42. Uh, Luke 23, verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The implication is that Jesus has a kingdom. The implication is that Jesus rules that kingdom. Um, He connects Jesus to this kingdom, and the connection is, is that it's his. It's his kingdom. I don't really know what exactly the criminal thought as far as the details of this kingdom um you know if it, if this were said by Simeon back in Luke chapter 2 somebody who was a Jew and knew scripture and prophecy he might have elaborated more on this by referencing prophecies you know he might have rep- uh, referenced Daniel where it talks about um one coming with the kingdom or you know some other passage but the criminal just says remember me when you come in your kingdom and we don't really know exactly what he believes or thinks about that. 
But minimally, we know that he believes Jesus has a kingdom that he's going to come with or come in. And I think that's something that fundamentally we have to understand and believe. Um, Do we recognize that Jesus has a kingdom? That he is the ruler of that kingdom? It's something that scripture talks um, a lot about. In John 18, uh, John chapter 18, if you want to turn there. This is actually right before Jesus' crucifixion where he ends up having this conversation with the criminals. In John chapter 18, in verse 27. John chapter 18. Actually, verse, uh, I didn't mean verse 27. I meant, uh, oh, where is it? Ah, here we go. Verse 33, sorry. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So th- or Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone is of the truth, listens to my voice. So Jesus makes no mistake about saying that he has a kingdom. And really his purpose was to come. And in a sense, in this text, he's saying that he came to bring the kingdom. He came to bring truth. Jesus owns up to the fact that he brings a kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 20 through 23 also talk about this, but um, being on the other side of the crucifixion, that first text is prior to the crucifixion, and Ephesians 1 is obviously after the crucifixion. And Ephesians 1 is elaborating on what it is that the, that, uh, the spiritual blessings of Christ involve. But in that, in verses 20 through 23, it reads... Uh, Picking up in the middle of a sentence here. His great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So again, it's this picture that God has placed Christ at the right hand and has power over everything. And in that sense, he's ruling a kingdom. He's the king of that. Um, And again, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that actually has another implication of Jesus being the ruler. And that's that someday everybody is going to recognize or acknowledge that he has the kingdom. And in that text, it says that every tongue will confess that he is Lord, or that the idea is that he is the king. Um, so, you know, 
the, does the criminal understand all these ins and outs of Jesus being the king and the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom and what all that means? Probably not. But fundamentally, the belief of the criminal hanging and dying on the cross was that Jesus was the king of a kingdom and that he pleaded with that king to remember him when he brought it. Uh, what faith, you know, as you're dying to, to not even understand something but to know it's true. Um, you know, I struggle with that a lot of times. I always want to understand things in and out, and I think that's good. I think the pursuit of knowledge in that way is excellent, and it can be helpful. Um, but Jesus talks a lot about those who don't need that to believe and how much greater that kind of faith is. And so I see that in the criminal, and so that's a good lesson for me to be more like the criminal and believe and know that Jesus has a kingdom. The, la- the last thing that I want to look at that the, that the criminal implies is in verse 42 of Luke 23. If you, have, if you aren't back there. Luke chapter 23, verse 42. Beginning in verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The implication there is not only is Jesus the king or the ruler of this kingdom, is that Jesus is hanging on a cross, but he's not going to be dead, right? Concept of, yeah, we're dying, but that's not the end, right? Um, And that's really a lofty concept to think that your body can end, but some part of you continues on, right? And we talk about that, and I think we have an understanding that the concept there, as we might word it, is like your spirit or your soul, right? There's a part of you that continues on. God made us that way. Well, criminal, again, doesn't offer a whole lot of insight into every little facet of that, and he doesn't give us some thesis on how that works, and he doesn't say, you know, every in and out of detail that he believes is true, but he indicates that he believes that there's something beyond what his body gives up on the cross. His and Jesus's. There's something that's going to continue, and he wants to be remembered in that time. And so again, I think this is just a principal truth uh, that God's word expresses, that um, there, is et- there is life beyond when our body gives out. And that Jesus, and I think the implication here, the important implication of this text is Jesus has control of where you go then. You know, as your body gives up, Jesus is going to dictate where you end up. Um, And there's a lot of texts, and even in Jesus' life, he gave this indication. Um, In John chapter 11, verse 25, we might be familiar with that text, Jesus says that he is, in and of himself, he is the resurrection and the life. All right? In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is in his person and in his self the way, the truth, and the life. In 1 John chapter 5, if you want to turn there, we'll actually read this this passage here. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll read verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I write these things to you, uh, things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes this in the positive sense, in the sense that he's wanting those who are believers, that are Christians, to have encouragement. You know, he wants them to know that because of what they believe and how they live in Christ, they have life when their body gives up because they have Jesus. But really this text also serves as a teaching point for us to say, you know what? If we have Jesus, just as he taught as he was alive in those first two passages, we have life. But the other side of the coin is to separate ourselves from Jesus or to not have Jesus is to be absent of life. Does the criminal on the cross understand all of these concepts? <coughs> I'm inclined to say probably not. He probably didn't know everything about what Jesus said about being life. But he recognized that Jesus had the authority to dictate his life after he died. And that's something that we need to recognize as well. So those are the three things that I see in this short interaction between the criminal on the cross and Jesus. And I think we're all sort of like the criminal, you know? Like, we've all done bad things. We've all done things we know we shouldn't have done. Some of us have done more. Some of us have done less. But we're all in the same boat, right? It doesn't really matter. As soon as you do one bad thing, you're a sinner, right? So all of us are like the criminal in that way. All of us, in a spiritual sense, should be hanging on a cross and suffering for the sin that we've committed. But like the criminal, we can also recognize some things about Jesus. We can recognize that he suffered innocently. And in that suffering, just as the, the criminal experiences, there's salvation through that suffering. You know, I think one of, the, one of the two lessons that I want us to kind of extrapolate just from this whole scene and not necessarily specific things that the criminal said, and, and this is the first one, that Jesus' death serves as a a dividing line. Did you notice that there's two criminals and only one is told that he'll be remembered, I think is the implication, but that he'll be in paradise with Jesus later on that day. Only one of them. The other one, ESV and other translations say derided or railed him, mocked Jesus. And that promise is not given to him. So even in this, this moment of Jesus hanging on the cross, his hanging there is dividing people. One guy decides to mock and one guy decides to believe. That moment of his death is already starting a dividing line. And really, Scripture teaches us, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll just read a couple verses here. But really, you could read all the way from verse 18 through 31. It just talks about this idea and expands on it. But beginning of verse 18... For the word of the cross is folly, or is foolish, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And literally, that comes true on the cross. One guy thinks it's insanity, he thinks it's dumb, and he makes fun of Jesus, and says, save yourself. It looks foolish to him that Jesus is even there. The other guy believes. And what does it produce? For him, it seems to produce salvation. And so again, we're already seeing in that moment of Jesus actually dying, we see really the first clear example of how that 
literal moment begins dividing men. And so really that serves for us to say, when I, when I think about Jesus on the cross, am I a believer or do I think it's foolish? We have to make that decision. Whatever your reason is for thinking it's foolish, it never happened, it's a fiction, Jesus was just some guy, he was a good guy. You know, whatever reason you lump it into foolish, there's still a yes or no answer. I either believe it or I don't. In Scripture, it seems to indicate that that's the decision we have to make. And it also tells us the outcome of that decision. And the other lesson that I want us to see in this is Jesus' death is a sign or a symbol of mercy. Um, Certainly as Christians, we take advantage of that, and that's what I like to dwell on, is the mercy that God grants to me personally because His Son suffered on my behalf. Because that enables me to have a relationship with God. That enables me to have comfort in knowing where I stand before the Lord and things like that. I mean, that is a as terrible as it is, I can take comfort in that because that's what God provided for me. But like, even in the actual instance of Jesus' death, we see the crucifixion offering mercy to those around him. Um, you know, the criminal is hanging there just the same as Jesus is. He's dying just the same as Jesus is. But Jesus extends him mercy in that moment. And so really, it's just as you think that the powers perhaps of darkness and Satan are going to overcome Jesus, Jesus overcomes those powers by saving someone. Um, In humanity's darkest hour, Jesus is saving people. Um, And so really, I think, you know, we often dwell on that, how the cross is a symbol of our salvation and mercy on us. But literally, in that moment, we were seeing that manifested as true. Jesus saves the criminal. He takes care of his mother. He, he's continually pouring out his grace on those around him. And so, as we think about the three things that the criminal said or implied, that Jesus was innocent, that Jesus was a ruler and was bringing the kingdom, and that Jesus... Um, As it says here, as I wrote down, Jesus has life, has authority over life. We also need to consider that the cross divides people, but also the cross is a sign in and of itself, or is is an act of mercy. So as we've dedicated ourselves this year to the concept of um, teaching Jesus the way that Jesus taught, and we're applying that to reaching out to people, So as you consider maybe this lesson and maybe as you're talking to people around you, um, think about maybe some of the things that the criminal recognized about Jesus and try to relay those things to people. You know, try to, when you're talking with someone, just say, hey, like, do you think Jesus was innocent when he suffered? And that's a huge teaching tool and that's a huge learning uh, tool for us is, yeah, Jesus was innocent. That's the crux or the, the crutch of the gospel, that he didn't deserve what came to him. Well, did, was Jesus a king? Yeah, he brought, he's bringing a kingdom. That suffering brought this kingdom. And <coughs> Jesus' life, because of what he did, 
And because of who he is, he determines where we go when we die. And so, I, I don't know, when I was thinking about this lesson, I was trying to think of ways that I would use it in day to day. And I don't know if there was any one way that I came up with that I thought, that, that's a good way to use this. But I just thought generally these concepts are things that if I dwell on long enough, and I dwell on them frequently enough, um, I think they're things that are simple, which I think are the things that people need to hear sometimes. And Jesus was innocent, and he was the king, and he brings life. And so that's the message we need to bring to people. I appreciate you guys for giving me the time. Hopefully the lesson was helpful for you.